On this episode of This Week in Linux, we check out some big distro news from Fedora, CentOS, CoreOS, KOS, and more. There's new versions of Firefox, Kden Live, GNOME, and Cinnamon available. Lubuntu announces their switch to the LXQ desktop environment by default. If you're interested in learning Python, Humble Bundle has a great Python development kit, Bundle, available. Ubuntu 18.10's codename was announced, and some of the Ubuntu flavors might be dropping support for 32-bit ISOs in the 18.10 cycle. Google confirmed that Linux apps are coming to Chrome OS and Chromebooks. Then later in the show, we'll look at some gaming news from Atari and Valve. Also some mobile news from Purism and Android. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. Up first in the show is Fedora 28. This release has a support for 64-bit ARM architecture as a primary architecture for Fedora server. They also included some popular third-party software repositories by default, like Chrome, Steam, NVIDIA proprietary drivers, and others. And you can choose to use them on the first time that you launch the, the GNOME software version 3.8. So as soon as you launch the GNOME software, it will give you an alert asking if you would like to install those third-party repositories. So that is pretty nice to see because they're making it a lot easier to install certain things that previously were a little more difficult in Fedora. They've also added improved battery life, Thunderbolt support, and like I said, the GNOME software 3.28 also means that they have GNOME 3.28 included as well. Now, another really cool thing that I like about it is that the VirtualBox guest editions will be installed by default. Some other distros do that as well, but the main benefit of doing that is that when you install a distro inside of a virtual guest, there's a problem of sometimes not having certain drivers available so that the resolutions will be awkward and the, the fonts might not work as well and things like that. But if you install the guest editions by default in the ISO, it means that those will be covered automatically. So it's very nice to see that being done because it's actually a lot of distros are doing that now. And it's really nice to see because you don't you can skip that step where it used to be kind of a pain because typically in the past, none of them did it. And now I'm, gl I'm glad to see that a lot are doing it. Now, another thing that is I'm really glad to see is Fedora's Anaconda installer has been streamlined, and they've removed a lot of, like, uh, you know, redundant steps. There's some things that you used to do where you had to go to, you had to go do something in the installer, then go back, change a setting, and then go forward again, which is kind of awkward in the, the, structure, the structure of it. But it's really nice they've actually removed some features outside of the installer because they weren't necessary, as they were already available in uh, GNOME's first run utility. So... It was just really nice to see that they have made it possible to use that instead, so it makes it a lot easier. And they've also made it possible that you do not have to use a root password by default. Like previously, it required you to set one up, but now, like other distros, you don't actually have to have one because it's not typically necessary as you could just use sudo on your existing user. So anyway, that's really cool, and Fedora 28 is definitely worth checking out. So if you'd like to see that, uh, give it a spin. You can find the link in the show notes. Up next in the show is Firefox 60 was released this week, and there's a lot of cool stuff in this version. One of the things I like is the policy engine they added, which allows you to have customized Firefox deployments. So kind of like in an enterprise environment, you can just deploy, you can customize Firefox and then deploy that version 
in a massive scale. So very cool. They've added the ability to, to see better clarity and control over first-party and third-party cookies with the new redesigning of the cookies and site storage section in the preferences. And they've edited or added the support for web authentication API, which allows you to use USB tokens for website authentication. So that's cool. And they've done some a couple Linux user only like Linux only stuff, like improved WebRTC audio performance and playback, and added the option to show or hide the page titles in a bar at the in a bar at the top of the browser. So check it out, Firefox 60. Caden Live released 18.04.1 point release. It's a maintenance release, but they did add a couple features that are nice. They added the ability to have a safe zone. Uh, well, actually, well, they, they added an improved safe zone overlay so that when you're editing, you can see, like, you can easily see a crosshair style in the center of the frame. So it makes it easier to see the center and as well as the, like, the, the safe zones around the, the area. So it's really nice to that you can, you can do that now. And they've added the improved background color for the titler, titler, which makes it easier to see titles if you like want to have a white text in the title. It used to be kind of difficult to see, but they've they've kind of fixed that, and it's nice. It's nice to see you know these kind of improvements, and uh, especially for the next you know next refractoring. I can't wait for that. But they've also added Flatpak support, and you can now install Caden Live via Flatpak through the FlatHub. So. That is really cool to see. I, you know, all all the, the making it easier to install it on whatever distro is always great. So if you're wanting to check out, makes it easier to check out if you do want to. So eighteen zero four point one, Caden Live. The Hubble Bundle released the Python Dev Kit, and there's a few days still left to get it if you'd like to get it. And it's a really cool bundle that allows you to, you know, l learn Python easily. If, if like it's your first, well, Python is like kind of like the best language, in my opinion, for people who are just getting into development, because it's it's a very it's like a simple but powerful programming language, and it also can go to like a you know high end levels. So it's it's not like it's a just an introductory thing. It's that's why it's one of the best because it's it's a nice it's a low barrier to entry, but also very powerful at the same time. So. If you're interested in, you know, looking at that, you can check out the Python Dev Kit, which has lots of Python books to learn how to use Python, and it also has some cool things like Gitkraken has a pro pro subscription for like one year of Gitkraken, which is a Git client that's pretty popular. It allows you to um, easily have a user experience for learning Git, and sometimes um, the Git commands are kind of confusing, so it's a nice way to do that as well. You also get a year subscription for PyUp, which is like a dependency package management to utility. And also $50 credit from DigitalOcean, which is really nice to see because even that is a, is a pretty good deal by itself. So if you're interested in checking out the Humble Bundle, Humble Software Bundle for the Python Dev Kit is linked in the show notes. And before we move on, just want to specify that the link in the show notes is an affiliate link. So if you would like to do, you'd like to use it, I will. The Tux Digital Channel will get a commission for that purchase. So, the Python Dev Kit from the Humble Bundle. Up next in the news this week is GNOME 3.28.2 was released, or 28 was released, and it has a. It's just a maintenance fix mostly, or a point release. 
and it has numerous bug fixes, some documentation improvements, some translation updates, and things like that. But probably the most notable thing to mention is that it fixes the memory leak issues that the GNOME shell was having. So if you're unfamiliar with that, it was just kind of like, it wasn't technically a memory leak, it was more of a improper garbage collection management, but they have fixed that in this release. So hopefully, you know, the distros that are using GNOME 3.3.28 will be able to pull in that particular update. So that's good. Also this week, we got some news that GNOME is working on a new login screen for the next release. The new login screen being worked on is actually pretty nice. It looks really good. And they've also added some interesting features that I like. For example, they've made it where it will choose by default the last user you were logged in as. So if you log out or reboot, it will just it will just choose the last one rather than having forcing you to choose and then put in your password. So I like that. But the I want to show you the cool thing about the lock screen is that it adds these uh, notification app icons so that there's a notification count on each of the icons displayed so that you can easily and quickly look at what applications are getting notifications as well as like being able to see what those notifications are. So that's pretty cool. This week, GNOME also announced a new GNOME internship program. This is a really cool, you know, really cool program they're doing where they're paying people to work in an internship process rather than just, you know, offering bounty bounty source type stuff. So the the GNOME in they this is what they they describe it as the the, the GNOME intern internship program is to bring development towards topics that are critical to the future GNOME goals. So that they're saying that it's not necessarily requiring to be a software engineer. They also accept non-engineering projects, but they haven't really specified like the 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 aim of like all the types of projects. But they have said that everyone is encouraged to apply. And the internships are a commitment of a 44 hour 40 hour week work week type of thing. Uh, but they also they've said that there is a stipend for eight thousand dollars for internships for a period of three months. So my rough estimate is about like fifteen to twenty dollars an hour is what they're kind of like suggesting that this is based on. And they've they've also said that the first round of internships will be focused on privacy and security. They haven't really expressed like how like what kind of thing they're looking for that in that particular field, but that's what their main focus is for this round. So if you're interested in submitting for the internship, you'll find a link to the program's blog post in the show notes below. Cinnamon 3.8 was released, and there's a lot of cool things that are coming with it. So first up, they've had support for eLoginD and SystemD time and date D, which replaces NTP and NTP date. One of the things I like is that they've ported a lot all of the well, not all, but almost all of the Python components from Python 2 to Python 3. So that is very nice because it adds a lot of, you know, a lot cleaner code and also makes it much more, like, better performance and stuff like that, and more efficient. Uh, the only thing that has an exception is the extensions for Nemo, which um, I, they've said that they are working on updating those, but right now they haven't, but everything else has, so that's really cool. They've also added it so that the region settings now support the ability to show uncommon and exotic keyboard layouts. And Cinnamon now activates the touchpad if no other pointing devices are present. I don't 
I don't know what it was doing before that, but that's kind of what I assumed it was already doing. So I need, I need to look into that and see what it is. But unless you know, let me know in the comments below. That'd be nice. The screen now also has lock synchronous uh, structure prior to suspending. So it used to be where if you if you lock if you suspended your system and you wanted to, to lock, it would actually just suspend, and then when you brought it back, it would show it for a second and then lock it. Whereas now it will lock it, then go to sleep. And then when you bring it back up, it will already be locked. So that's you know that's a very nice improvement. They've also added the ability for thumbnails to be rendering files as large as 32 gigabytes. I assume that's for like videos or something like that, because otherwise that's that's gigantic files. But you know, either way, Nemo's also being a lot faster in what the way it shows content of directories, which is being they improve the lib. Nemo dash extension package. This allows the performance to improve. It also helps improve the searches. So that's really cool. And they've added symbolic icons by, by as, as the main as a primary icon structures for a more modern look and better support for dark themes. So that's very cool. So Linux Mint's Cinnamon 3.8 desktop. CentOS Linux 7.5 was released this week, and CentOS is based on Red Hat Enterprise Linux or RHEL 7.5. They've. It's mostly a maintenance update to the previous, you know, the main set, the CentOS seven, and th this particular release they've deprecated Python two, and they will remove it in the next release. So right now it's more in the process of being removed. So, this instance is mostly a, a a maintenance release. I'm not going to talk about all the bug fixes and stuff like that, but I do want to talk about the fact that they've now changed it so that when you do bug reports. They anytime there's a new report, CentOS will automatically send that report to bugs.centos.org using their Mantis bug tracker system. So Mantis 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 bug tracker is the an open source bug tracking system that I like. It's actually pretty good. It looks it has a nice uh, user experience for it. So if you haven't checked that out and you want to do like if you do project bug tra bug tracking, that's a good one to look at. And they've also removed some cryptographic algorithms and protocols that are considered kind of non-secure for enterprise-ready operating systems. So if you're... I actually use CentOS as a server distro. It's really nice to have, like, the compatibility of the of Red Hat, of Red Hat Enterprise. It's really nice to have that without, you know, dealing with the, the cost of Red Hat Enterprise because I don't, te I don't technically need their support for a single server. <laughs> so... Uh, it, but anyway, it's a really good CentOS is a really good operating system. So if you want to check it out for you know server deployments or anything like that, uh, you can check it. They find a link in the show notes. Red Hat unveiled their plan to integrate or merge CoreOS into Red Hat or Red Hat Enterprise. So they'll be integrating the CoreOS Tectonic, which is the Kubernetes distribution from CoreOS. Quay, I think it's pronounced Quay. That's the Enterprise Container Registry System. And Container Linux, which is the lightweight cluster Linux distribution that made by CoreOS. And these will be integrated into Red Hat's container and Kubernetes-based portfolio of software. That's a lot of buzzwords, but it's just mainly saying that some pieces of CoreOS are being merged into Red Hat, being offered as a, set, as, as a part of the Red Hat suite. And CoreOS's releases will now be tied to OpenShift... Uh, the OpenShift's release cycle. So they're going to be, you know, released at the same time. They also, uh, because of this, they're going to, it's making the managing of Kubernetes deployments at a large scale a lot easier. 
because the vast majority of the the rote or the remote uh, maintenance tasks will be performed automatically. So that's pretty cool. So at Google I.O. this week, they announced that or confirmed that Linux apps are coming to Chrome OS and Chromebooks. And this is actually a pretty cool way they're doing it because all of the apps are going to be using a, a custom virtual machine inside of Chrome OS using Debian as the virtual machine base. They haven't really said if each, if there's one custom, or the one virtual machine that runs all the apps in a container structure or if it's a virtual machine for each app. They haven't really specified that. But either way, there's going to be a little bit of overhead. So because of that overhead, not all of the Chromebooks will be able to support all of the apps. So, but all Chromebooks will be included in this process, in the, in the approach, but not all apps will work on all Chromebooks because there will be like some hardware limitations and things like that. But they did say the way that you're going to be able to install applications will be through apt-get. So that's pretty cool because it's going to be like a, a containerized virtual machine that still runs in a native approach. So very interesting. They said the first version of Chrome OS that will have it will be version 68 that is due out on July 31st. Now this is not to be like the full-blown version will be available. This is just like like the first initial release will have that. And they also said it will be technically possible for Windows apps to run via Wine through this Crostini approach. And that would be really cool as well. And there have been people who've been testing it since the developer preview announced like that they, they found this in the code. They've been testing to see how far they could take it. They've actually been able to get Steam to work. And of course, Steam is very going to be very limited, and it's more of a proof of concept rather than an actual like functional approach. But it's still pretty cool that they could do that. So anyway, if you want to learn more, you can see the blog, the blog post from Google I.O. and the show notes below. KOS 2018.04 was released recently, and this is a celebration of their five-year anniversary of KOS. And I just want to point out that it is pronounced KOS, even though I kind of want it to be chaos. That just, I don't know, seems fun, but it is KOS, so. KOS uh, had a complete redesign of the Midna theme. Not really sure how you pronounce that one, but I think it's Midna. And it's a, it's a nice redesign. It looks more polished and more modern. And they've, they've actually updated 2,500 new icons. And they've made a new login theme for the STDM login manager. One of the cool things about this particular release is that they added a new welcome app, or like a first run app, called Croeso. And Croeso allows you to more than just a regular... like Some welcome apps have the ability to make some adjustments and they give you documentation and things like that. But this one does a lot of configuration options as well. So it allows you to have, uh, allows you to control the mouse behavior, the menu launcher, uh, change the desktop theme and wallpaper. You can even change the color scheme of the, of the system and the window decorations as well as the virtual desktops that are set up by default. So you can change a lot of things in this particular uh, first run wizard. So that's pretty cool. And... This was actually they used to have a they used to also have a welcome app previously to this, but it was called Captain, that wasn't made by the KOS team. That one has been replaced by the new Croeso app, which is written by KOS and QML. So, if you're interested in checking out a 
very heavily KDE plasma based distribution, then KOS is definitely worth giving a look. So KOS 2018.04. Lubuntu announced that they will be switching to the LXQt desktop environment by default in 18.10. They've had it available as the Lubuntu Next release, so that you could use, you could, if you wanted to right now, there is, a, there is a way to use LXQt through the 18.04 base, but that's, on, that's through the beta version of Lubuntu Next. But LXQt will now, in the future for 18.10, be the default approach and interface for Lubuntu. So that is very cool because LXQt is a very nice, light, but still modern and powerful uh, desktop environment that was being made by the LXDE team. So that the LXDE team, most of them, uh, transitioned to working on LXQt along with the RazorQt, uh, the former developers of RazorQt. They merged together a long time ago. So it's really cool to see that like the, the Lubuntu is going to be have like a really big new release in 1810. I'm looking forward to it. If you want to learn some more about this particular news, you can check out episode 63 of the Ask Noah show, where friend of the show, Simon Quigley, uh, did an interview with Noah on his show. So check that out, and I'll have a link in the show notes for that. Up next in the show is the Canonical Corner. So first up is the code name for Ubuntu 18.10 has been announced, and it's Cosmic Cuttlefish. Code names for the Ubuntu releases are typically not that important. They don't use it for marketing or anything like that. They do make t-shirts for it, but that's that's pretty much just for like for fun type thing. But they typically use it for development and like conversational purposes. So it's kind of a lot to say, uh, I'm working on 18.10 or I'm getting ready for 18.10 or something like that. Whereas instead you could say, you know, I'm working on Cosmic. I'm working on the Cosmic packages and things like that. It's just easier to say to have these code names. And that's kind of the reason why they have them rather than like the general purpose of like marketing or anything. They also only use the adjective in Launchpad, so that's pretty interesting too. I like the Cosmic part of it. That's pretty cool. That's fun. Although Cuttlefishes actually have pretty cool features like the ability to change their colors and like kind of like sort of be translucent and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. Anyway, Canonical announced that their that Snap developers will now have the ability to get notifications for security updates. So publishers will now be alerted for Ubuntu security notices or USNs. Once a day, the service will examine snaps that have manifest.yaml files for their currently published channels and checks whether the USNs have been issued that are relevant to packages in the snaps. If any snap revisions are affected, the tool will generate a report to send to the developer via email. So people will, the developers will automatically get notified when they have something in their snap that has security vulnerabilities or patches or things like that. So it makes it so that not only do you have the containerization and the, the, the constricting or confinement, really, the confinement of the snaps, you also have the ability to notify the developers now so that is nice. So it's just it's just really the fact that they're putting more importance to one of the topics. This is one of the the items that people were kind of uh, a little skeptical of, I would say. And it's nice to see that they're doing something to you know make it more um, more 
ease of use and lower the barrier for the developers to get this kind of update done. So very cool. So a few Ubuntu flavors have announced that they will not be shipping 32-bit ISOs for 18.10. Ubuntu Mate, Ubuntu Budgie, Kubuntu, and Ubuntu Studio so far have all said that they plan to no longer offer 32-bit ISOs for their releases of 18.10. There will still be available to use 32-bit of the 18.04 LTS, so if you want to have if you need 32-bit ISOs, you can still use that. So that's 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 a that's available to you. The Ubuntu Budgie team says that almost all of its users are already using the 64-bit ISOs, so there's really no need for like the, the amount of work put into the 32-bit version is not it doesn't justify the work because the amount of people who use it is very small. The Ubuntu Mate team says that less than 10% of Ubuntu Mate users are running the i386 or 32-bit images. And they say of those that do use the 32-bit version, they found out thanks to the, the, tele, the telemetry of the, the, the Ubuntu report system that many of those people who use the i386 images are actually using the i386 images on AMD 64 or 64-bit hardware. So there's no real reason for them to be doing that. So it makes sense for them to kind of not put as much work into the 32-bit so that they can spend more time on developing the 64-bit version of Ubuntu Mate as well as support for working on the ISOs for the Raspberry Pi version of Ubuntu Mate. And basically that 64-bit is kind of ubiquitous now. Like pretty much every every computer in you know, the past 10 years has been 64-bit. Now, and most computers in the past 15 years have been 64-bit, but pretty much all of them, as far as their x86 counterparts, if it was like a an, an ARM... An ARM processor might be 32-bit, might be 64-bit, depends. But as far as x86 goes, it's pretty much always 64-bit at this point. And it has been for years. So it kind of makes sense that they want to do this. The Atari VCS pre-order date has been announced. They officially said they're starting the pre-orders on May 30th. It won't actually ship until next year, sometime around spring, but it would be possible to pre-order it if you would like to. It's, it's Pre-ordering is kind of interesting the way they're saying it because it's also going to be on Indiegogo crowdfunding. So is it like being, is it crowdfunded or pre-ordering through crowdfunding? I'm not sure. But the Atari VCS, it will be $199, which is actually a pretty decent price for the hardware that they're describing will it, ha- it will have because it's, it's basically a console price for a, um, a very, really high-powered emulator device is what they're kind of like implying it's what it is because they've said that the all like a large group of the library for Atari games will be included in this box so it's kind of like an emulation device kind of like the NES classic but this is going to be very powerful in comparison to the NES classic so the NES classic is like its only purpose is that whereas the Atari VCS seems to be you know, have that included, but also even be like a full Steam machine to run like full games because it's going to have uh, 4K resolution, HDR ability, and it's going to use the AMD, like a custom processor from AMD that uses Radeon graphics. So this could be a pretty good console 
you know, when, when they give us more, hopefully in the pre-order, they'll give us more specs about it. But right now, it has potential, so I'm looking forward to it, and I hope that it is a good machine. I hope that it, I hope that it fulfills what I want it to be. How about that? So, Atari VCS pre-order, May 30th. If you're interested, check out the link in the show notes. Valve has admitted that there is a there was a Steam uh, the Steam hardware survey had a flaw. So there's actually more flaws to it than they have admitted, but they've admitted at least one of them and have said that they have fixed it. So they said around August 2017, which is about around the time people started noticing that the Linux percentage was going down, they started reporting that. Actually, what was happening is that there was a lot of a new new users in China because they opened it to, Ch- to Chinese gamers. But it wasn't about like China as far as the amount of people in China. It was because there was a problem with cyber cafes in Asia that were... The way they were managing this, the computers was tricking the survey to be like reactivating the survey and asking for input multiple times when they're supposed to only do it once a year per computer. And they were doing it much more often because of the way that the cyber cafes were handling those computers because they were like rebooting or reformatting them and things like that. So it was giving a lot of excessive amounts of, of it was counting them excessively. Uh, they haven't really said how many were being counted, but they said that it was showing a notable, notable increase in Windows 7 usage due to these types of, these types of cyber cafes. So they said that they have fixed it, and they don't. They said that they they found the root cause of the problem. Didn't specify exactly what it is, but they said they did deploy a fix, and they're confident that as of April 2018, the survey will no longer be overcounting those users. So in theory, the Linux users, Linux gamer percentage will go up higher than previously, and they've already shown a graph where that is showing that that the, the, as of April. They have got, you know put it more accurate to what it's supposed to be. The GamingOnLinux.com has a chart that shows the, what was happening through the survey. So you can see that the Linux users have actually gone back up above the because of the because of the Chinese speaking simplified Chinese speaking gamers because of the cyber cafes being corrected. So that's pretty interesting. And if you want to keep track of the Steam survey from Gaming on Linux, it makes it a lot easier because it's focused you know, just on Linux gaming. So that's pretty cool. But unfortunately, they still have the whole... The survey is still broken in terms of Linux users because you know, in the, this, the notification, they said that you're only supposed to be asked once a year per computer. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people who are Linux gamers that are maybe asked once ever or sometimes not at all. So I've only I've been using Steam since 2008, and since 2011 when it well 2012 maybe when it first came out on Linux, and I've been asked one time ever what computer I'm running. So there's there's a little few more problems that that Valve needs to fix, but at least they're working on some of it. So so you may have heard of some. I guess drama recently with System76 versus the LFS, LVFS firmware updating service. And this is kind of interesting, but I just wanted to, I'm just going to tell you about what's like what both sides said, and you could 
go into the like read the blog post for yourself if you'd like to learn more. But the LVFS uh, firmware updating service says that you that like their TLDR of the issue is that they they think you shouldn't buy System76 hardware and expect to get firmware updates from the LVFS. They said that there's um they said that discussions got stuck when they found out they were currently using a non-free firmware flash tool called AFUEFI rather than using the UEFI specification called Update Capsule. This means that it will only work with when running Pop! OS. This is a quote from, to be clear, this is a quote from LVFS. They say that it will only work with running Pop! OS and not Fedora, Debian, Ubuntu, SUSE, RHEL, or anything else. System76 is saying that the, the statements claiming that their firmware, firmware tool only works on Pop! OS is not true. They're saying that System76 computers ship with Pop! OS and Ubuntu, and both include the automatic firmware updates. All Ubuntu distributions are supported, so everything that's Ubuntu-based. And they've also said that they've had customers using Arch that have confirmed or their firmware update tool works with Arch. They've also said that they officially will be supporting more distributions as time permits, so that that issue is not necessarily a problem because they're working on it. System76 also made a note that it's it's unfortunate that the blog post was posted on GNOME's website because some people are misinterpreting it as GNOME's opinion versus this one, the author's opinion. So it's the author of the blog post opinion, not the GNOME project, even though it's on the GNOME blog site. So that's one of the parts that System76 that I commented in their post that I was I thought was interesting. They also say, the System76 people also say that LVFS and Update Capsule might be okay for companies mostly focused on proprietary future, but they say that Update Capsule is not the tech, the technique companies will use in the future when using open source firmware, which is what they are basing their future aspects on. And this is actually this is pretty interesting. If you want to learn some more, check out the show notes. Let me know what you think in the comments below, and um, I'd love to know what you think, so please let me know. The Purism team announced that Librem 5 will be using the GNOME Mobile UI shell, which is a minimalist shell that the Purism team is actually working on. And this particular announcement is showing a demonstration for the interface. So they said that the this the GNOME shell, minimal shell, will be available in the at launch in January 2019. And this is it looks pretty good. I I you know, I like the fact that they're working on it. And they did say that they're going to be trying to push this upstream to the GNOME, see if they'll maybe will interested in having a mobile shell. So but right now that they're working on the the they're working on the first phase of the shell, which is having a lock screen, an unlock screen with a pin code, uh, having a home screen that has, you know, paginated is it paginated or paginated? I don't know. But anyway, just allow you to switch through pages of installed applications. And also like the top bar and bottom bar that is like a night like the the way mobile interfaces look. So it kind of it looks kind of like a GNOME. It also kind of looks like a a merge of Android plus GNOME. So anyway, it's pretty cool. So if you'd like to check out the blog post, that'll be linked in the show notes.
but uh, it looks it looks pretty good, and I'm I can't wait for the Librem Five to come out. I mean, I'll I'll probably use in the Plasma Mobile version, but I am I'm I can't wait for. I just want it to be. I want it to come out. I want to have a genuine Linux phone already. So please, you know, let's let time go forward faster or whatever. <laughs> so anyway, links in the show notes. At Google I.O., we also got some new information for the Android P release that they're going to actually add some interesting features that are, it's well interesting that it took so long to get this ability. But if you weren't aware that Android P, or Android, previous Androids, had the ability for letting, letting all applications running run a service called NetStat. And this allows you, this allows the application to basically track like what what connection your phone is doing at any given time. They're now adding a, an ability for a uh, a new update update to the SE Linux rules that make that not possible. So they're going to block that. Although there's really no guarantee that they've blocked it outright or they're just setting up a permission system, so it might be possible that they'll set up a new permissions that the app will have to request in order to do that. But uh, I would prefer none of them be able to do that. But anyway, so that, see, another reason why I'm looking forward to Librem 5. Anyway, another what, one of the things that they actually announced that was interesting is that Android P is going to try to tackle phone addiction and distraction of using the phone. So they've made a new dashboard that will keep track of how often, when, that's weird, and how, for how long you use each application on your phone. And also the ability to set time limits so that you can force yourself to not be able to use certain applications at certain times or things like or a certain amount of time, things like that. They've also made it so that if you when you have more like the you it's based on the notification that you swipe away often. So if you get notifications from particular apps that you don't ever read and you just throw, throw them away, it's gonna keep track of that so that it can automatically turn off the notifications for those types of programs. So that's kind of interesting. And they've also made it so that there's a new do not disturb mode where it will not only just mute, but it will also disable visual notifications as well until you turn the do not disturb back off. But the one of the things I like about this this particular update of the do not do not disturb is that it will automatically turn its turn on the do not disturb if you put the phone face down on a flat surface. Now you could turn that feature off if you don't want it to like if you often put your phone face down you might not want that to happen so you you can't turn it off but you know there's a, you know give or take there's some good and some bad with android so yep let's hurry up on the Libra 5 so there's been some reports that microsoft is attacking the competition through patent trolls based in texas and that these people who are doing the patent trolling are former management of uh, management members of Microsoft, according to TechRights, Dominion Harbor received patents from Microsoft, and there's more evidence that Microsoft has connections with another thing uh, called in- Intellectual Ventures. So there was a, a settlement lawsuit type thing for in- Intellectual Ventures, and they lost 136.5 million, and that just happened to be the exact amount that. Microsoft wrote off as far as their investments. 
So there's, you know, potential that this this is a, uh, you know, uh, they're trying to hide behind like a shell corporation type thing. But you know, this is all, you know, allegedly though, but it's still interesting. And the actions of the Venture and Dominion Harbor people combined allow Microsoft to actually win cases where it wouldn't have otherwise. So Microsoft won a patent for a possible Surface-branded folding smartphone with sophisticated camera systems. Essentially, there's, there's a lot of companies that are trying to do this folded smartphone thing, and Microsoft now has a patent for it for a platform of Windows Phone that doesn't exist anymore. They've even canceled the development of Windows Phone, so they have no reason to have a patent for this particular thing other than to maybe collect rent from the patent control from people like Google, Samsung, and Apple. So this seems pretty sketchy. And it's just, you know, Microsoft might claim to love Linux, but they are definitely still the Microsoft of old when it comes to patent trolling and, you know, getting fees for things that they have nothing to do with. If you didn't know, they actually make money from various different companies based on patents that they have that relate to Android. So while they, they do nothing, no work at all on Android, they still get significant amount of money from Android phones and manufacturers and stuff like that. So that's fun, right? Anyway, Microsoft. So I don't want to end the show on a bad note. So instead, let's end it on an awesome note of Open APS or the Open Source Artificial Pancreas System. Open APS is a community that was created by someone who by Dana Lewis, someone who has type 1 diabetes and was kind of was living with having to deal with a lot of uh, stress from the just having to keep track of all the data of all of having to keep track of like your blood sugar uh, levels and things like that. She had there's a there's a TED talk that she gave and also a talk at OSCon that if you would like to learn more about um her experiences and stuff like that you can ha you can check those out and I'll have a link to those in the video description. But what's really cool about this this thing is that she had a problem that she just wanted to fix and she goes to the doctor and the doctor said like okay first the main problem is that when you when you when you're awake it's easier to keep track of your your glucose levels because you can you can constantly pay attention to it and if it goes up and down you can check it and make sure that you're in a in a better you know, best setup. But when you're asleep, you can't really do that. So you have to you have to wake up, and make sure that you fix it. And she was saying she went to the doctor and said it wasn't loud enough. And the doctor's reactions were, "It's loud enough for most people." Or, you know, we we have you have to wait until we're ready to you know make a new version or whatever. So instead of that, she decided that she wanted to see if there's a way to make their make her own because she she found out about what open source was. She found someone else built something basically like what she wanted and could then, you know, build on top of that. So her and her husband decided to make a web app that had a much louder alarm, which created the ability for her to, you know, uh, 
easily wake up and not have to worry and have to have the stress of doing it. But while they were doing it, they, they went even further. So they continued to build this new system. And they built an algorithm that proactively predicted the future highs and lows and be able to track them over time of the, le- of the glucose levels so that the system effectively became a do-it-yourself artificial pancreas. So that is just amazing. And they, the, what is also really cool is that they use Linux to do it. And the first version prototype was using uh, Pro- Raspberry Pi. And they've, they, over the course of the, 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 like a couple years they've been doing it, I think she said three years, but they've, they've been refining it and making it even better, making it smaller so that they can, you can actually have it in a much smaller package. And it's just, it's just a really amazing thing that, you, you know, what open source can do is, you know, when, when you have the ability to help other people help their experience in life to ease their issue, ease their stress and ease their pain through something like this. It's fantastic. And the fact that there are so many people in the community that are building to help improve this kind of thing for people is just amazing. So if you want to learn some more about this, uh, check the link in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please hit that like button and be sure to subscribe. And also make sure to ring that bell if you want to get notifications for when I post things or go live. If you'd like to support the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, or DonorBox by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or you can just go to the contribute page and scroll down. There's a link there too. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness where I'm a co-host, then check out Destination Linux podcast by going to destinationlinux.org. Just a reminder, the show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.